Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. As you're turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2, let me remind uh, uh, my, you of a picture, a painting that I saw years ago. It was a painting of the shepherds on Christmas night. And they're looking up into the sky at the angels that are singing their heavenly chorus, you know, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth and goodwill on whom his favor rests. And it's a majestic scene and the shepherds are looking up, the, the angels are singing, but at the feet of the shepherds are the little sheep dogs, little dogs of the shepherds. And they're there. And they, they know there's something going on, but they can't quite figure out what it is. They're not aware of the, of the sound. And it shows the little shepherd's dog looking in the other direction. Impervious, unaware of the surroundings. And though I think, I think that portrait paints kind of a vivid picture of the way people are in the world today. They know there's something happening around this time of year, but they're not quite sure what it is. And they're looking elsewhere for the significance. I think that is a, a picture of, of life today as we think about it. Now, we don't expect animals to understand. You know, they're incapable of this comprehension. But so many people out there are aware of something, but they do not know the significance of the event to which we are celebrating this month. Millions of people will choose to reject the Christ of Christmas. They will know about it, they will hear about it, but they will choose to reject Christ. And there's no greater example of that than Herod in our Bible that we're going to be looking at this morning in Matthew chapter 2. These are individuals like Herod who they hear the truth, but for some reason or other, they reject what they hear. So let's look at Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 8, and then we're going to skip over and look at verses 16 through 18. Listen to the way Matthew writes this. We're going to look at these words under that that question, under that that statement. Why do people reject the Christ of Christmas? Matthew writes, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go. And make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. We know the Magi do not do that. We pick up the story in verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. In accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. 
Three central ideas, three central truths I want you to gather from the story of Herod this morning. First, is some people reject the Christ of Christmas because of fear. Herod is an unusual man. Uh, history is, is not good to Herod. Herod was put in, in control of Judea by the, the, the Roman emperor, by the Roman senate in, 30, in uh, no, 40 B.C. But he solidified his power in 37 B.C. And the thing about Herod is uh, he is ruthless. He's ruthless with anybody who gets in his way. He was politically shrewd. He knew how to play the situation. He knew how to play the, uh, the system, the government in Jerusalem, unlike many of our politicians today. They don't know how to play the politics of the game. He was ruthless. And he would eliminate anybody that got in his way. And this was the type of man, he lived in constant fear that people were going to overthrow him. But not only did it, did it affect him in his reign, it also affected his, his family life. When you consider his family life, he uh, was so afraid that somebody was going to take over his throne that he killed two or three of his sons because he thought they were going to overthrow, overthrow him. And he even killed his own wife. Uh, he killed anybody that got in his way. As a matter of fact, Caesar Augustus said this about Herod. It is safer to be Herod's pig than to be his son. History is not kind about Herod. He was an individual who clutched power and he annihilated anyone that got in his way. That's what he did. Herod's fear uh, began to rise when the Magi came looking for a king. Look at what it says in verse 2. The Magi asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Now, don't you know, when Herod heard that, his anger began boiling inside him. He said, wait a minute, I'm king of the Jews. That's my title. I'm king of Jews. But here they are. They're looking for somebody that's the king of the Jews, and they're not looking for me. So he began plotting. He began to become devious. What am I going to do about this? And to make matters worse, look at what else they said. They said, we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. This really gets him riled because you're supposed to be worshiping me. I'm the king of the Jews. I'm the king of Israel. These people here looking for a king, they're looking to bow down to him, but they're not coming to bow down to me. They're not here to worship me and who I am. You see, everything he did was rooted in selfish fear. It dominated his thinking. He was so afraid that somebody was going to take over the throne, somebody was going to start controlling his life, that he could not do it. Fear bolts the door against faith. Fear runs from the light of truth. And it causes us where we can't live life to the fullest. We can't kind of live the kind of life that God wants us to live because we are afraid to give in to God. I remember years ago I read a story about a shoemaker during the time of Adolf Hitler's reign in Germany. Uh, he supported the, the political movement of Adolf Hitler and he went to their, went to their meetings, the propaganda supported it, and he became um, convinced this would be good for him. This would be good for him economically, so he bought into it. But it wasn't long after the, that that the regime of Adolf Hitler failed, because we, we know what happened. And then he became gripped of fear, because he worried about what was going to happen. So, so he fled to his sister's house in Serbia. 
and in, in Serbia, so, no, Slovenia, I'm sorry, Slovenia. So he went and lived in Slovenia in a barn at his sister's house. And for 32 years, he hid in that barn, never venturing outside the barn, never greeting other people, never going to city, and he was in that barn. He was discovered 32 years later, people discovered him. And they asked him, said, what drove you to do this? He goes, fear. Fear. I was gripped by fear of what might happen to me. And so because of that, I did not enjoy life to the fullest. Now, obviously, this man had a problem with, with perhaps he could have been, you know, killed, whatever, at least excommunicated out of the, the community. But the fact of the matter is his fear led him to think something that might not happen and it controlled his life. It dominated his life. It led him to miss out on life to the fullest, just like Herod. And just like the shoemaker, and just like Herod, we are no different today. We are afraid to have someone take control of our lives. We are afraid because they are a threat to our position. They are a threat to our lifestyle. That we are a fear of what might happen to us if we let somebody else be king if we let somebody else be Lord of our life. And so what we do, because we're gripped with fear, we wind up rejecting the very one who can give us life to the fullest. And we reject him because of fear. So the first thing is that people reject the Christ of Christmas because of fear. Second, some people reject the Christ of Christmas because of uncertainty. A, a subtle form of rejection is hidden in uncertainty. Herod was supposedly a very learned man in Jewish, Jewish religion and the Jewish traditions uh, in the Jewish scripture. He was very learned because look at what it says in verse 4. It says that Herod asked them where the Christ was to be born. He had some, some knowledge of the Christ. He had some knowledge of the Messiah. So where is he to be born? And of course, the the scribes and the religious leaders that he gathered with him said, hey, this is where he's going to be born. He's going to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. So he had some, some understanding about him, but he's uncertain about who this person is. Who is this child? He doesn't exactly know what this Christ is all about. He wasn't quite sure. He had knowledge. He had, even had evidence of who Christ was but he was rejecting it based upon the evidence he had because he was uncertain of the claims that this Christ of Christmas would have on him. So he rejected the truth, even though it was there for him to see. Richard Halverson was a um, longtime pastor at a 4th Street Presbyterian Church in Washington, D.C. He was also the chaplain of the Senate. I know that seems odd, doesn't it? They actually have a chaplain who prays for them to have God's wisdom. It ain't working. It ain't working. But anyway, uh, that's who he was. And so uh, uh, he was uh, very influential in, in the area. And so he was at a college fraternity, and he was giving a, a talk or a, a, a discussion on evangelism. And in the midst, a young man raised his hand. He says, can you prove to me that Jesus Christ existed? So Richard Halverson asked him a question. He says, okay, let me ask you a question. Do you believe that George Washington was the first president of the United States? The boy was pretty sharp. He said, if I say yes, then I will have to agree that I know that because of historical evidence that George Washington 
was president because he wasn't there. He doesn't know. He's taking it based upon that death. And if I accept that George Washington was the first president of the United States, then I will have to accept Jesus based upon historical evidence. And so the young man looked at Richard Halvis and he goes, no, I do not accept that. And he walked out of the room. You see, he did not want to know the truth. It was staring him right in the face, but he did not want to because he was uncertain of what that might mean to him. He was uncertain of the claims that Jesus might make on his life. Many people reject Christ in spite of the evidence, in spite of what Scripture says, in spite of the testimony of hundreds, thousands of millions of people. They still refuse to believe, and they reject Jesus based upon the evidence. They're uncertain about who He is. They're uncertain about what He can accomplish. They cannot believe that Jesus can be what the Bible says He is. They have an intellectual hang-up. And their battle cry is all this. There are no moral absolutes in the world. You can't know anything for certain. And the thing that's interesting about their philosophy is that there are no moral absolutes. They accept that for themselves, but they cannot accept more absolutes. I had a, uh, getting my oil changed in my car. And we were sitting there, we was talking. He asked what I did, and I told him what I did. And so I began sharing scripture. And then I shared my personal story. I said, here's the gospel according to me is what I did. And he listened very intently. Uh, he was very respectful of what I, what I said. And, and I asked him, I said, is there any reason that you couldn't receive Jesus as Lord of your life? And he said, no, not really. But I don't believe that is true. He's uncertain. In spite of the evidence, in spite of the evidence of a changed life, he was unable to embrace that because he was uncertain if any of it was true. And there's many people just like him, because they are uncertain that Jesus could really save them and they can make them whole, they reject Jesus. They don't understand that Jesus is the one that can bring satisfaction to life. He's the one that can bring change to their life. He's the one that can help them live life to the fullest. But they reject him. They reject him. And because they reject Him, they reject Him as their Lord and as their Savior and as the one who can bring fulfillment to their life. So they reject because of fear. They reject because of uncertainty. And finally, we look at this passage and see that some people reject the Christ of Christmas because of pride. The roots of fear and uncertainty are mingled with the roots of pride in this story of Herod. Herod told the Magi, Go, find this child, and when you find that child... Tell me where it's at so that I too may go worship the child. Herod had no intention of worshiping the child. He was not going to bow down to the babe of Bethlehem. He was not going to, to uh, worship the Christ of Christmas. He was not going to do that. He was not going to come down to the level of worshiping some child in a manger. If anything, that child ought to be worshiping King, King Herod. He was going to do He said, I will not do that. Think about Herod. Herod lived a life of luxury. He had power. He had prestige. He had popularity. He had, he had possessions. If anything, the Christ should be worshiping him. He should be bowing down to him. Why did he need to go and bow down and worship the Christ of Christmas? Because of pride. Pride was the reason he would not do it. Pride is blinding. First, pride blind, distorts one's vision. You can't really see things clearly. I read a story years ago about, uh, I read Vince Lombardi's 
uh, biography. Vince Lombardi was the, the famed coach of the Green Bay Packers. You know, the Lombardi Trophy is named after him. Uh, just a, a, one of the greatest coaches of all time. And his daughter fell in love with a young boy at college. And uh, she brought him home, and they were in the basement studying for an exam that they had. And she wanted to introduce her boyfriend, Tom, to Coach Lombardi. And so she heard the door open and shut upstairs, and she hollered out from the basement. She goes, Daddy, I want you to come down and meet Tom. There was silence. And then Vince Lombardi echoed down. He goes, tell him to come up here and meet me. Here's the thing about a story like that. That's a lot like us. We want God to come up to our level. We want him to come up and, and, and talk to us. God desperately wants to meet us, but, but we are too important to allow him access into our hearts. We're too important to allow him to take reign in our lives. We're too important to surrender our way to his way. We're too important to give in to God. We want to keep our place of preeminence. We want to keep our place of prominence. We want to maintain control and the position of our own life. And God won't meet us at that level. He won't do it. You know, we're supposed to go up to Him, not Him coming down to our level. Listen to the way Paul said it in Philippians chapter 2. Verses 6 through 8, he says, Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality of God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, here's what Jesus did. Jesus didn't come up to our level, he came down to our level. He came down where we are, and he got involved in our sinful lives, in this sinful world that we have. He came down to our level and made himself known to us. Pride keeps us from accepting this truth, so we reject Jesus. To accept him would mean that, that we are inferior, and our pride will not allow us to let that happen in our lives. You know, this time of year, our churches will be full. People will come, and they will fill thousands of churches to worship, to celebrate. You know, they will come, and some will come out of obedience, some will come out of a joy, uh, and, and that, that would be, be what they do. Others will come because it's just a routine. It's something they do every Christmas, and they'll be back next Christmas to do it once again. They will make their appearances. Some of these people, they will receive the abundance of God's blessings. Others will sit in stubborn silence when the invitation is given, and they will not respond. Because to admit that and come forward, that's their pride, says, I can't do that. I am my own God. I can save myself. I don't need anyone else to help me. And because of their pride, because of their arrogance, they will reject the Christ of Christmas. You know, pride, at that time when the invitation is given, pride will, will move its crafty hand over them and whisper that they have no urgent need to respond to Jesus. And once again, 
a story will be written in heaven. Another story of rejection will be written in heaven. So where are you at today? Where do you stand today? Are you going to be one of those ones that rejects the Christ of Christmas because of fear, because of uncertainty, because of pride? Because when you reject him, you're rejecting the life that he has to offer you, life to the fullest. In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. The praise team is going to come forward. They're going to lead us in a closing song, give us a, a time to worship, to reflect. More importantly, to respond to the message that we've heard today. How would God have you respond? He would have you respond to receive his son. Receive him as Lord and Savior of your life and submit your life to him so that you can have life to the fullest. Would you stand with me?